We celebrate you, O oh God, the ultimate parent who is the source of love, the architect of the family structure, the giver of every good, good gift. You comfort us like a mother comforts her child, as a woman would never forget her nursing child. You will never forget your children. You are like a mother eagle hovering over her young. You are our protector and provider. You care for us like a midwife cares for the child she just delivered. Lord, you know the joy of having children, and yet your son endured rejection, loss, and pain. You longed for the people of Jerusalem, as your word says, like a mother hen longs to gather her chicks under her wings, yet they rejected you. Lord, we are reminded that you teach us what it means to be sacrificial, as you willingly gave up your one and only begotten son for the sake of the world. It is you, O oh God, who has been faithful to your family covenant, who gives us strength, grace, joy, peace, patience, and love to recognize, remember, sympathize, mourn, lament, and celebrate Mother's Day. God, we thank you for... God, we thank you for your church, a family of believers you have been called together, where mothers are shared, where children are nurtured, where family uni units combine, where the orphan, the fatherless, the motherless, and the widow's needs are met. Oh God, we praise you. In your spirit of love, let us recognize, mourn, and celebrate with the mothers of this congregation. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate with you today. To those who have disappointment, heartache, and distance with your children, we sit with you in your pain. To those who have lost their mothers, we grieve with you. To those who experience abuse at the hands of your own mother, we acknowledge the complexity of emotion this day holds for you. To those who gave birth to a child this year, we rejoice with you. To those who have experienced loss through miscarriage, failed adoptions, or the death of a child, we mourn with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, fraught with pokes, prods, tears, and disappointment, we walk with you. Forgive us when we say foolish things. We don't mean to make this harder than it is. To those who are foster moms, mentor moms, and spiritual moms, we need you. To those who have aborted children, we remember them and you on this day with grace and compassion. To those who are single and long to be married and mothering of your own children, we sit with you in the longing and the waiting, trusting God's timing and plans. To those who are step-parents and adoptive parents, we walk with you on this complex path. To those who place children up for adoption, we acknowledge the great sacrifice you made and know how you will always hold that child or children in your heart. To those who are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprising, we anticipate the future with you. To the mothers and grandmothers whose children are grown, we look to you as our examples. To all moms everywhere, no matter what your circumstances are, we appreciate you. This Mother's Day, we come together in spirit as one family to celebrate and worship you, O oh God, knowing you are with us. May we comfort those who need comfort and rejoice with those rejoicing. We thank you, God, for our mothers. May you continue to strengthen, encourage, teach, and love them as they love others. Ultimately, we thank you, God, for your love, nurture, comfort, 
protection, and for being the perfect parent. No matter what you face this Mother's Day, you can turn to God and experience peace and healing through prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you. And kids, you can be dismissed at this time with Crystal. That's a powerful prayer, um, and I, I tear up when I hear it. Um, today is Mother's Day, and we, we celebrate and we honor our moms. Happy Mother's Day to all of you moms out there. Uh, my mom is there on the, the far right. Happy Mother's Day to my mom. If she's watching on video, I love you, Mom. Uh, I have a wonderful mom. I'm very thankful for her. In the middle uh, is my wife, Jen, uh, who is a wonderful mom herself, and she's in the, uh, the little kids' room uh, this morning doing kids' ministry. And happy Mother's Day to Jen. And on the, uh, I, I would be, I'm, I'm getting my, your left and right. My mom is on your left. On the far right is Jen's mom, my mother-in-law, uh, Deb, and she is a wonderful mother as well. And you can see our three children uh, in there. And so just, uh, I, I am in a, in a world and in a life surrounded by uh, great moms. And uh, today is a day to celebrate our moms. Uh, it is often uh, a hard and thankless job to be a mom. And I love that we have a day to celebrate you. It's very, very, uh, very important. Uh, this is also a hard day for some. And the, the, you, you heard that in the prayer that was read. I know individuals who will not attend church on Mother's Day because of um, some of those things mentioned in that prayer, because, because they don't have the same experience of celebrating the mother-child relationship for various different reasons. And it can be a very challenging day uh, when, when that experience is the only one uh, mentioned. And if that is you here, uh, know that we are with you in your story. And if you are watching online because you're one of those people that can't be in church on Mother's Day, we love you and we are with you. Um, what we don't do well in the church is this verse, uh, Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Uh, it's hard to do both of those at the same time. Please hear me. We rejoice in Mother's Day. We rejoice in you moms that are working hard and are doing a great job and are awesome moms. And we also mourn with those who mourn on this day. And our hope is that for all of us, today will bring some healing. Because Jesus is in the business of healing. He is in the healing business. And we hope that today is a day for that. And so as I thought about our, our series that we're doing uh, and, and thought about what should I preach on Mother's Day as we talk about what Jesus brings, come hear the good news. I grew up mostly in church settings where uh, on Mother's Day, a dude pastor would get up and tell a bunch of women how to be a mom. Anyone been there before? <laughs> it's like, bro, <laughs> you just, you're a little out of your league right now, okay? So I'm not going to give you a sermon, uh, ladies, on how to be a mom today. <laughs> uh, not that those sermons are all bad. There's plenty of good things in Scripture about that. Uh, but today, we have been talking about the good news of Jesus in this series and what Jesus brings us. What is so good about Jesus? In week one, we talked about eternal life. That's pretty good. Week two, we talked about rest. Also good. <laughs> Last week, Pastor Adriel preached on dignity, how Jesus brings us dignity. And today, we're going to look at how Jesus brings us family. 
he brings us family. How the church is meant to be family in Scripture. So some have wonderful families and wonderful family examples. And you grew up in a warm, nurturing family environment that you naturally are following after. And others don't. Others are in or have grown up in difficult family situations where pain rules and brokenness rules. And, 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 and there's many in between. And so what we want to look at today is how we at Mosaic can begin to be shaped into the type of church that is a family for all, for everyone, okay? So we're going to take our break here and have some discussion at your sections for five minutes. And I want you to talk about these two things. What does a person lose or give up when becoming a Christian in today's society? So just think about that. If you become a Christian, is there anything you lose? Is there anything you give up that you have to go through to be a Christian in today's society? And then number two, whether you've come from a, a great family background or a painful family background, share what you think a family is meant to do for each other. So we're not getting into the makeup of a family. Just what is a family for? What it, in an ideal world, what is a family meant to do for each other? Take five minutes, and then we'll be back. All right, I'd be curious some of your answers on the question about what do you have to give up today to be a Christian? I think in 2000, what year is it? I can't remember. 2022? Uh, you, you don't have to give up a lot to be a Christian in the United States. Maybe if you're in middle school or high school, you, you might lose some sway with the popular crowd. Uh, but, but that also depends if you're living like a Christian, right? In our culture, we have this idea, both as youth and as adults, that, yeah, you could be a Christian on your Facebook status, but you could pretty much live however you want. You can live immorally, right? You can live the way, quote, unquote, the world lives. And so if you do that, you're really not going to face any persecution whatsoever. It's when your life looks different than what everybody else is doing that persecution may come in. But it's important that we understand in the first century, when the Bible was written, in the first century, when we talk about Jesus and the disciples in the early church, this was the first century A.D., things were very, very different. So we're talking about how Jesus brings family, and we're going to talk about why that was so important in the first century. So, first of all, all of the first Christians were Jews. Okay, so Jesus was a Jew. All of the first Christians were Jews. The Church of Jerusalem in the book of Acts, it was a, it was a multi-ethnic group of Jews. They were from many nationalities, many ethnicities, even skin colors, but they were Jewish. And then the whole story of uh, the, Paul's letters, the epistles and from the book of Acts, the day of Pentecost going out was, hey, yo, go tell the Gentiles, right? And now we have Jews and Gentiles. But here's the thing. The Jews, as the people of the Old Testament, right? So Moses, Abraham, David, this is the story of the Jewish people, which is also the story of, the, of Christians. And Jews believe in one God. So do Christians. But we believe in a trinity. We believe Jesus is God in the flesh, that God came to us. Now, that's kind of okay in 2022. We can be like, I can picture that. I can picture Jesus doing miracles, being God in the flesh. 
But in the first century, you're a Jewish family, you believe in one God, and then this carpenter that you know that played Little League Baseball with your kid starts walking around saying, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Savior of the world. I'm God in the flesh. That would have been the ultimate blasphemy to a Jew in the first century to claim that claim about being God. So here's the thing. If you became a Christian, if you became a follower of that Jesus, your family would disown you. They would completely disown you. You would lose your inheritance, not just your family, but it's different today. Our social structure, our economic structure, it all exists outside of the church. And then you come to church on Sunday. For the Jews, and you can read about it all in the Old Testament, their whole society was based around the temple. And then in the first century, Palestine, it was based around the synagogue. And as there were different synagogues in different towns. And your social cultural life was based around the synagogue. You would have been expelled from the synagogue. So there goes your job. There goes your reputation. There goes where you live because you would have lived with your parents. You would have built a room onto your dad's house. And then the oldest brother would have inherited it eventually. You would have lost everything to follow Jesus. So try to picture that for a second. Would you become a follower of Jesus if you lost everything? Your closest family members, your mother, your father, or your children disown you as a freak, as a lunatic, as a blasphemer. That's what they were facing in the first century. So do you see why it was so important that the church become family? Because they didn't have family anymore. Not only that, that's what they faced with their Jewish families, but the Roman Empire did not like Christians. So this is a very pleasant piece of art to show on Mother's Day. It is a person getting their face eaten by a leopard. It is a mosaic as well. It is a mosaic. See all those little pieces? So that's, that's what a mosaic is. This is an you know, archaeological piece of art uh, showing what happened in the Roman Empire to many types of people, but to Christians specifically because in Rome, you had to worship Caesar. And Jews had, a, had an exemption because they were, a, they were a, kind of a conquered people of Rome. But these Christians, they were seen as rabble-rousers in Rome. They were, they were saying, this guy Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. That didn't fly in the Roman Empire. So they took the Christians and they did this to them. 11 of the 12 of Jesus' first disciples were all killed in brutal ways, mangled, tortured to death because they were Christians. So this is what you're facing in the first century. So it was very important that you had a family because you had a lot that you were up against. This is just one of many passages in the New Testament that talks about God's family being the church. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia, yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. So they literally considered themselves to be brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers. And in, in many church traditions, we still carry on that. Brother Adriel, you know, Sister Victoria, and, and, uh, or I might say my brother in Christ, my sister in Christ, that's all very, very biblical. This is what, this is, this is 
the, the, how the church was organized in the first century. And so the good news is, just like in the first century, the church was meant to be a family, the church today is still meant to be a family. Now, it's not going to look the same. We don't live in the first century. They lived in a very communal way. So literally, many of these churches, they lived together. They, they, they sort of villaged together because, again, they had to. But today, I want you to know that Jesus wants to bring you family. If you come from a broken, painful family situation, Jesus wants to bring you a redeemed family, a different type of family, a new type of family. That is the church. Now, the second question is, are we setting up Mosaic Church to be the type of church that is a family? That's something we have to ask in these early formative years for who we are as a church. Okay, so... Uh, we have Jesus here in Matthew 12, 48 to 50. His mother and his brothers are looking for him. Hey, Jesus, Jesus. He's teaching, he's doing ministry. And he replies to this person. Who, this person comes up to him and says, hey, your mom and your brothers are out there. They, they need you. And he says, <laughs> Jesus says, who is my mother? And who are my brothers? You can picture his mom and brothers be like, we are Jesus. Like, we're right here. And he points to his disciples, and he says, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So this is our invitation, that the church is to be a family. And praise God, many of us today get to bring our families into this family, right? And praise God that most of us today don't face family excommunication. But I will say, as we lift up in prayer, our brothers and sisters around the world, that those that are leaving the Muslim faith, those that are leaving the Hindu faith, the Buddhist faith, they do face the same excommunication that the first century Christians faced. Because those economic, and you could talk to Teddy Muthiala about that, from being in India and being a missionary among Hindus and Muslims, that to become a Christian today in 2022 in those countries, you face the same type of excommunication from all of the social structures. So let's keep the global body of Christ in mind as well as we think about this invitation to become family. So what I want to do just briefly is three blessings that we receive when the church is family. Okay, The first one is that it breaks generational cycles of sin. So, so some of you were raised in homes or could still be in a home where things are seen as normal that go against God's design. Okay, so if you grew up in an alcoholic home, as a child, all you know is alcoholism, and that becomes normal. And so many children that were raised in alcoholic homes, not all, some flee from that, but Many fall into it because they go, oh, this is normal to consume alcohol in this way. Or it's normal to cope with problems in this way. Or if you grew up in an angry home, you tend to model the anger you see because it's normal to cope with issues with this type of, of anger. Abuse, neglect. If you're a kid and the only home you know is your home, then you think that that's normal. And you go through life not knowing that God's design is different. And so one of our invitations 
to being the church as family is to know that you're not alone and that there is healing. And let's face it, we all come from dysfunctional families. Amen? Because we're all sinners. We're all of us, our mom and dads are sinners. I'm a sinner. And we all come from a level of dysfunction in our families that God wants to redeem and that he wants to bring and he, uh, healing to. Now, there's also a piece of the generational cycle of sin when it comes to what a family itself is. And as we talk about sex and as we talk about family itself. And so we'll do a whole series on this uh, down the road. But, uh, you know, I have a friend who grew up in an environment where he didn't know his dad. And he told me as an adult, not a single one of his friends from his teenage years knew their dad with the exception of one, and that, that dad and mom weren't married. So all of his friends, only one knew their dad, and none of them were married. And then you're talking about, well, God's design for sex is marriage. And he's like, what's marriage? Now, this friend became a follower of Jesus when he was 16 and joined a church and has been following Jesus for a long time. And he's breaking the pattern of generational sin that he saw of what's normal and what a man's role is sexually and vocationally. And he, he's living his life as a, as a man of God and is, is planning on, on being married and, and all of these things. And it's, it's a beautiful picture of what the church can be. Culture as a whole, for all of us, tells us to be selfish, to be selfish sexually, to do what you want sexually. It's all about pleasure. It's all about you. Do what you want. Let's ask ourselves, does that way lead to wholeness for individuals, for children, for society? Does that way lead to love? Is selfishness, me getting what I want, love? Of course not. Now, um, Scripture describes marriage and sex. Genesis 2 says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. These are the early stages of Scripture when God lays out the blueprint for humanity. First um, Corinthians 6, Paul in the New Testament, he ties it to sex. And he says, do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. Now, the point of this uh, is to look at one of the primary areas of brokenness we all face. We all share brokenness of some kind or another when it comes to sex. All of us do. I would say it's, it's one of the number one, myself included, one of the number one areas of brokenness in our culture. And it's important that as we look at God's design for family, which is a design, and we don't have time to get, into, to get into all of this, that we look at God's design for family being one that brings wholeness and freedom, and that we aren't here to talk about your past, okay? So your personal life, your family's life, the way that they've modeled this to you, we're not here to bring shame upon you. We're here to say, you're not alone, you're not alone. And what would it look like to surrender this area of your life completely over to God? 
and to his design. So there's some scripture on the screen about how we are forgiven of our sins. And God lavishes his grace upon us. God wants to redeem your past. He wants to buy it. He wants to change your future. And the future is, is experiencing his sacrificial love for you. His sacrificial love for me, and what does it look like for you to show that sacrificial love to everyone, and when it comes to the topics of sex and of family, to say, God, I'm surrendering this world's model. It hasn't worked, <laughs> and I'm going to follow your model of sacrificial love. And again, we're going we're gonna to talk in depth about, about these topics in a series uh, this year at some point, because this is such an important area that we need healing in as individuals and as a culture. Uh, but today, I want us to look at just this idea that when church is family, it can break generational cycles of sin. What you've seen as normal isn't normal. God's design is what brings us into freedom wholeness, healing, and love. And so this beautiful invitation into the church as family allows you to see other families that hopefully, not all, and we're all broken and dysfunctional, but hopefully, if you're my friend who accepted Christ at the age of 16 and came into a church, he can say, man, there's a young man, you know, a young teenage boy, he could say, I can see these men and how they're raising their kids, how they're loving their wives. And we're full of brokenness ourselves, amen? But hopefully the church is a place where, where we can see God's design. And, and secondly, where we can learn to trust him and be under his authority and say the world has their authority, they have their social hierarchies, they say if you wanna be, just like in middle school, it hasn't changed. If you wanna be cool, if you wanna be popular, if you wanna be accepted, do these things. And God says, yeah. Freedom, wholeness, healing, and love are here in my way and in my way of living. So that's number one, breaking cycles of generational sin. Second one is really basic and straightforward. Needs are met. Needs are met in a family. Here's some passages of scripture from the New Testament that describe what this first century church looked like. Remember, they were kicked out. They were kicked out from their families. It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them uh, all that there were no needy persons among them. That is incredible. This, that wouldn't fly in 2022 in the United States of America. It just wouldn't fly. But look at that last sentence. There were no needy persons among them. And here's the thing. We have emotional needs. We have physical needs, material needs. We have spiritual needs. Remember a few weeks ago, Victoria, in her anti-racism devotional, she used this passage, Galatians 6.2, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. That is what we are for. That is what we want to do and be as Mosaic Church. And I want you to know we're building towards this. We are a newborn baby as a church. Let me tell you, if you've ever had a newborn baby around, they don't do a lot. <laughs> they do a lot of pooping, they do a lot of puking, and a lot of crying. 
And, and it takes time to mature. And, and, and that's who we are as a church. Not you, but we, right? That's, we are a newborn baby. We are cute and beautiful and a miracle and a mess. <laughs> but I want you to know that we're building towards being this type of church. And it's important that we know that in our, in our early days. So the reason we have you sitting in sections, you might say, I've never done this before in church. We believe that in the DNA of our church, community is really, really important. We believe that church is not meant to be a place where you come and be entertained. You can, you can watch a, a preacher on YouTube and worship music. You can go to a movie theater and you can be, watch TV. You can be entertained. We don't believe that's the function of church is to be entertained. The reason we do discussion questions and we invest significant time of our service to do that is because we believe you have something to offer the people you're sitting with. And we, you have a name tag on because we want you to know that you matter and that your name is known and you're not just a face in the crowd. This fall, we're going to be launching midweek small groups. Most likely, they're going to be on Thursday night. They're going to be in one location, similar to this one, uh, in the neighborhood nearby. And we're going to take these sections we sit in and build our small groups around them. And our hope and goal is that those small groups can develop into the type of community that is embodied in Scripture. At the same time, having a youth ministry and a kids' ministry on that Thursday night and a teen youth ministry that meets as well to meet these needs. So pray. Pray with us as we grow our church into being that type of church. And I'll tell you today, if you have a need, let us know. That connection card, let us know if you have a need. Community, though, is a two-way street. And I'll tell you, if you're a part of my church, and if you are consistently coming and saying, I'm in this family, I'm not a third cousin that shows up every fourth Christmas. I am in the family, and I'm contributing to this church. And there's many ways to contribute to a church, amen? We all have something to offer. We all have something to bring to a family. If you are at the table with the family consistently, I'm telling you, there will be no needy persons among us at Mosaic Church. You can mark it down, amen? Yes, yes. We, that is the type of church that we're going to be. We're not a charity, though. So it's, it's we're, 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 you know, if, but that happens, those are good too. But that's not what we are. We're a family, and I just want to cast that vision for everyone to know that, that this is the, the, the vision of church that we want to be, a two-way street where everybody's contributing, and in that, all needs are going to be met. Did you know people that go to church live four to six years longer than people that don't? So there's met, multiple studies that have been done in recent years by Ohio State University, other places. You can Google it. You'll find it, on, you'll find it on CNN's website, Washington Post. People that go to church live four to six years longer than people who don't, depending on what study you, you look at. That's, that's cool, <laughs> right? Because we take care of each other, and God takes care of us through the community. There, there's people that say, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. Sorry for a sports analogy, but it's like saying, I'm a quarterback. Who's your team? Oh, I don't have one. Eh, well, you're not really a quarterback. <laughs> Healing, wholeness, love. That stat, four to six years longer, it, it only counts for people that come to church in person. It only counts for, for, for people that come to church in person. Okay, so third and last, and 
and this will be quick. Um, the third one is this, church is not entertainment or celebrity-based. And this is really important. Um, it's community-based. It's community-based. And so, so some of you here may have, may have picked up the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast, very popular. Um, encourage you to sample it. Uh, Willow Creek in Chicago uh, in the last few years, well-chronicled um, abuses of power in these churches. Mega, mega, mega churches. Churches, all the churches are saying, we're going to be like them, we're going to be like them because they're big. We're going to be like them because they're big. And we're seeing now that there's something wrong with the model where there's narcissistic leaders at the top that are, that are um, drunk on power and there's abuses of power where there's not accountability, there's not shared leadership. And pe I'm talking people uh, in, in the Willow Creek situation, sexual abuse, sexual abuse that was brought to the table and then those women were told to shut up and were basically excommunicated from the church publicly and shamed publicly when it turns out that it was their senior leader the whole time that was sexually abusing women uh, over the course of, of a long stretch of period of time. There's a book called um, Church of Tove by Scott McKnight uh, that I'd encourage you to check out, which talks about what the church is supposed to be like and uh, looking at there's something wrong with the model that we've built. It's to a point now where we can say that model, that greenhouse, that environment, it breeds certain things. So as Mosaic Church in our first month of official existence, I guess, what kind of church are we going to be? Yeah, amen, <laughs> amen. How are we building Mosaic? What is the focus? Is it celebrity-based? Is it entertainment-based? Or is it community-based? Is it family-based? And that's going to be a challenge we're going to have to face as we grow as a church. And that is always something that as a community, I want you to know it is in our DNA that we want to be a healthy church of tov. Tov is a Hebrew word that the Bible uses over and over again for good, for goodness. It's used in creation that this is good and over and over and over again. Uh, and I do want to give a shout out to those watching on the live stream. There's much good in a YouTube live stream. So if you're watching, we welcome you. And I know that it can be scary to come to a place like this and say, what are those weirdos doing? I'm not just going to show up. I'm going to watch on YouTube instead. And that's really what I feel like our live stream is for. It allows people to sample what we're doing in, in a non-intimidating sort of way. But I also want everyone here to know, those watching as well as all of you here, watching preaching and worship online is not church. It's not. It's not church. We would like you to get from the YouTube live stream into one of these black chairs here in the gym at the Seedman Boys and Girls Club. And it's really important because our culture is going in that direction where, it, where that can just be what church is. And that's not church. It's good. It's supplemental. I'm not saying don't do it, but it's not church. Like I said before, that four to six year stat, you got to be here in person. <laughs> it doesn't count. It doesn't count if, if you, unless you're here. And so lastly, I just want you to know you are not alone. We give you an invitation uh, to become family. We give you an invitation to join Mosaic, to be consistent, to not see church as entertainment. Uh, we give you an invitation to follow Jesus. We give you an invitation to surrender this idea that sex and family is really about selfishness. Do whatever you want that feels good. And surrendering it 
to become a Christ follower, to be a little Christ where your life looks different? Does your life look like Christ enough that you are persecuted by people? You know, if nobody ever persecuted you or made any comment at all about your lifestyle, it might mean that you aren't really following the ways of Jesus, but you just kind of blend in with everybody else and everything else that they're doing in the world. But lastly, what Jesus invites us to with family is wholeness, healing, and freedom.